Welcome to the fourth episode of Somewhere the Vulture. My guest, I'm excited, is Mr. Easton Deverna. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Really excited. You know, I uh, was fortunate enough to have your partner in crime on Sammer, uh, Grandpa, Sean, to uh, be a guest already and had read the comic digitally, but was so excited to get my hands on it. So thank you very much. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm happy to. And yeah, and so you got the hardcover, the first edition. Yes, yeah. the hardcover with the nice little notes and sketch inside, man. Uh, you hooked me up. It was awesome. Oh, yeah, happy to. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Now, I do have to ask you a quick question because I think that I sent you a message back and forth and made a bit of an idiot out of myself. The book, Dead World, was that the original title and it turned into The Runner? Yes. So Okay. That's correct. That's a very easy mistake to make. Um, like even if you search one of them, they'll both come up on Amazon or Goodreads. So it is it is kind of misleading. It was originally be called The Runner and I was going to do a short story. And then I just kind of got carried away and it turned into probably novella borderline novel length right now. And when I pitched it to SourcePoint Press, they liked it. But there's another there's a comic out there called Dead World and they didn't want any brand confusion. So they were like, do you have another name? And I said, well, actually, the first title was going to be The Runner. So the self-published version is Dead World. That's the one you have. And then now it's under SourcePoint as The Runner. So it, it can be confusing, especially because they're both still floating around out there. It's a good thing that I was disappointed. I mean, I could have read the book and been like, man, ugh, there doesn't need to be any more of this. But I was like, yes, a sequel already. <laughs> I do have plans yeah. for for hopefully another book, another novel in that series. Um and some comics in that in that universe as well. It is very fleshed out just in what uh, I was able to read in this first book. I was very glad that you sent it along because I'd already talked to Sean from his perspective, which we can talk about. But I love the book, so. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I'm glad I'm glad you're digging it. Uh, I was <laughs> when you sent me that message about the chapter with the mutes. I was a little bit. I was like, oh, no, is he going to keep going? Is he? <laughs> um, that chapter actually gives a lot of people pause while they're reading it. It was it's certainly, I think, the most graphic and probably the, the most horror centric chapter in the book. My wife stopped reading it after that. She's like, I won't continue. My mother in law stopped reading it after that. <laughs> but <laughs> it didn't stop me. I was very impressed at how effective that it was. You know, I'm getting ready to turn 40 next month. I've read a lot of stuff and to get swept up into something and to be affected by it uh, so much that I felt like any, I just had to say something about it. <laughs> I mean, it, but it lends credence to, you know, your craft, which is what we're going to be talking a lot about. So I, I was just letting you know, I was like, man, wow. For this type of story, when you have that person that leaves this place that has pretty much essentially been this bubble that they've lived in and they walk out the door and they get uh, such a, a large hurdle immediately. I, I liked the character development of it since she continued because most people would have just packed it up and went back to the house. That yeah. showed a lot of depth to her character. So, yeah, was it, you know, horrific? Yes, but she lives in a horrific world. So, uh, personally, I'm glad you didn't shy away from it. I'm glad that you kept going. Well, I really appreciate your saying that, and, uh, and I'm glad you're, you're reading it, and I'm glad that we're chatting about it. As most of the um, podcasts or interviews I go on are a more samurai grandpa focus, which is great. I mean, that's like my bread and butter, but the runner was, or dead world is definitely a, um, a passion project for me. And yeah, that scene, that scene is just, it makes me laugh because 
I get different reactions. Some people are like, oh man, I was gnarly. Some people are like, no, I'm, I'm just done. I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> like I kid you not. It was like a dark and stormy night when I was writing it. Um, I do most of my writing either late at night or early in the morning before, you know, the hecticness of the day comes along. And I keep my office very dark. Either way, I just work off the light of my computer. I had calm writing music on. I was very much into this scene, kind of creeping myself out as I was writing it. And then my wife was came in and I was so in the zone. She like tapped me on the shoulder. I like fell out of my seat. <laughs> it's like screaming cursing and she was like what the heck i was like i'm sorry i was just writing this really intense scene and you scared me <laughs> that's awesome i drew comparisons online uh, and even sean and i spoke about it dark tower i know people probably uh, get tired of me talking about it but it shaped me in a lot of ways as far as uh taste the type of environments and world building i grew up on Lord of the Rings and fantasy and those types mm -hmm. of things and never really crossed over into the horror genre, especially not Stephen King, mm -hmm. but got lucky enough that while I was in the military, uh, I was dating a girl who was like, you've got to read The Gunslinger. And she bought it for me and I got on my very first plane ride of my life and just tore through it. And it just had such an effect on me. I was always a big fan of, uh, and Leone films, watched those heavily when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Big fan of uh, of the Mad Max films. So oh, yeah. it was really weird that it became my go-to and in my mind. And this book, I mean, even just the tower itself and the Oracle and that's that post-apocalyptic world where things have moved on and you're kind of stuck with uh, the leftovers, man, I just really, really dug it. So happy you sent it to me and really looking forward to what you do next with it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I think I tweeted back, you know, that's an honor to just even be mentioned in the same, uh, you know, that kind of reminded you a little bit of a Stephen King vibe is awesome. Very similarly, I grew up more along the lines of reading fantasy, uh, the Red Wall books. I don't know if you've read those. Um, like that really got me started. Then I grew into Lord of the Rings and like tour books. I really wasn't too far into the horror genre. But one of the first things that I read of Stephen King's was actually a short story is a post-apocalyptic story in an anthology called Wastelands. Like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> I started reading The Dark Tower and I intend to finish it, but I think it's like seven or eight books or something, right? Yeah, it's pretty meaty. Um, I actually got introduced yeah. to it piece by piece. To be honest, I really haven't read much by him other than some of his anthologies and short stories and stuff like that. I mean, his short stories are just so good. One of his best, uh, probably my favorite book that he's written is actually called On Writing, which is, it's not just writing advice. It's like half that and then half a memoir. And his life was just so interesting and in how he got to where he was and his, his like battle with addiction. It's really, really well done and captivating. I think that's one of my favorite books by him. He actually builds mm -hmm. that into the Dark Tower. He actually plays a character in the story. It's very interesting. I mean, even with things that, not to get too far off, but like with things like It that mm. was just released and how the mythology of all these different books tie in. He's so remarkable in that aspect. But My collection of his books on my bookshelf is expanding. I have a problem where I just buy books and don't have enough time to read them, but I will get to them someday. And I really am looking forward to expanding my knowledge. I, I don't get into memes that much, but I did see one uh, not too long ago. This I've come to the place in my life where I realized that buying books and reading books are two different hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> that's 100% <laughs> no, true. That's pretty uh -huh. spot on. 
I did a little bit of homework as far as looking uh, at some other interviews and some different things. So I always like to pick people's brains. For me, that's the the funnest part is getting to know where you come from and the influences. And I read, I think it was Vonnegut, Pratchett, Douglas Adams, and then Grant Morrison, Snyder, Hickman, and I think was it uh, Rick Remender. I think those are the names that I remember reading about. The yeah. as far as like influences, is, is that uh, sound pretty right? It's very very accurate. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Those are, uh, I mean, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams. Like, I guess just a little bit about where I got started. Um, I went to my undergrad for to be an English major in New York, where I lived most of my life. I moved down to North Carolina about three years ago. Yeah, so I I just loved like the satire and the dry British humor and like the quick wit from Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams type of stories. And I was taking creative writing classes as an undergrad while I was going to teach English as my major. And I eventually went to get my master's in creative writing and literature. And it just sort of snowballed from there. I kind of fell out of comics for a little while. Definitely huge into them when I was younger. Probably around high school at the time, I fell out of them. Um, it wasn't as cool, I guess, to like them <laughs> back then. And then by the time I got back to college, I started to slowly get back into it. And then in my, my master's, which I did in, at Stony Brook, Southampton in New York, I was do, largely focusing on short fiction and longer form, like novels and things like that. So I was working on all of that, all these workshops on short fiction. I was writing short stories till the sun went down. And then I saw this opening called uh, The Graphic Novel. And I was like, I do love comics. <laughs> um, and I was like, should I, should I take this? And I was talking to one of my buddies who was doing his, um, his MFA elsewhere. And he was like, yeah, totally go for it. What are you going to do? Another short story workshop. And the, the graphic novel workshop was actually taught by Scott Snyder. And I didn't know who he was at the time. This was right before the new 52 relaunch or uh, reboot. So I think he was coming off of his detective comics run and like he had just started American Vampire. And I ended up enrolling in the class and it was probably like one of the best things I ever could have done because I wouldn't be writing comics right now. I promise you if I didn't do that. It was just so awesome to get to know him and learn from him directly. Out of that is where Hal was born. That is exactly. Yeah. So that was the other thing. I was working on a novel for my thesis in that program. Then I took that graphic novel workshop and I started writing Hal in that I approached the director of the program and I said, you know, I'd like to change it up and finish a graphic novel script as my thesis. And she was amazing. She was like, absolutely, go for it. And so I was the first one to do a graphic novel script thesis in that program. And it was all because I took that one that one workshop that semester. And it was it was just so much fun. For someone of his caliber to get to sit in and to see and hear face to face, it would be hard to be in that type of class in that type of environment and not get bit by the bug, so to speak. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. Just like his, he was so cool. I mean, he is so cool, and his passion for it, like it was just infectious. And uh, and I just, it was so much fun. It was it was a nice change of pace. I was getting a little bit burned out, I think, on literature or you know some kind of little bit uh, more serious type of realistic prose that I was working on. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me I can write my thesis on the werewolf apocalypse? I'm totally doing it. <laughs> you're like, I'll take it. I was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> it That's cool. a super cool progression, though. My favorite part about listening to people tell how they ended up in and around this industry of comics, 
there's so many different types of stories personally and so many actual stories people are trying to tell. So that's really awesome. And I haven't read Howl yet. I tried to grab it digitally off Comixology, but once I'm able to get a hold of it, we'll, we'll talk about it. I would send you the hard copies, but we don't have them anymore. We did a Kickstarter for that a while ago, and we funded the first three issues. The plan was to finish it in about six, but we got sidetracked by a couple of life events. You know, some other projects came up. We do plan to get back and finish it one of these days. Um, we may even go back and do some rewrites in the in the first three. But that was a great little series that really cut my teeth on. I learned a lot doing it. And looking back on it now, there are definitely some things I would change, but that's, that's the way things go. Now, you wrote that with Ryan Davidson, was that right? Yes, yes. Now, yes. were One you guys friends. in that class together, or was it classmates, or just friends? How'd that work out? No, he's a little bit older than I am. He was uh, going for his PhD at Stony Brook at the time. He's actually the friend of mine who encouraged me to enroll in the graphic novel course. He was doing his MFA at American in D.C., but uh, we kind of knew each other. We grew up in the same town, so we knew we had a background, and we just uh, just kept in touch even when he moved south and I'm still in New York. But yeah, so I was working on Hal in my MFA, and he and I were, were talking more about it, and then we were like, you know what? My thesis wasn't exactly the way I wanted it to be, and he and I were spitballing, and we decided to co-write it. And then we found Dan Books uh, from—he's uh, also he's a New Yorker as well— I think he was a connection through a friend of a friend. And then we all just kind of connected and we said, all right, let's make a comic. And none, it was our first comic, all of us. So it was a really fun learning experience. It sounds like it. I had his name written down, but I wasn't familiar with anything else he'd done. So I have to look deeper into him and see what's going on. So something that's that's not announced yet, but I can give you a little teaser. Dan and I and actually Sean that did the letters and Gab Contreras was on Colors. So I wrote a one-shot comic that takes place in the same universe as The Runner that is uh, done. It'll be coming out through SourcePoint Press. Everything got kind of delayed, understandably, with current events. I will keep you posted when, when there's more news on that, but keep an eye out for a book that takes place in that, a comic book that takes place in that same world. And there's even a couple of Easter eggs that tie into the novel. So, Uh-oh. Yeah, and so Dan Dan is a great partner to work with on that. He's such a, an amazing horror artist, I would say, is his niche for sure. And in this comic, obviously, there's a little bit of horror going on. It's, it's very bleak and dark, and Dan has very heavy brushwork, and uh, he's just like the perfect fit for this book. So I'll, I'll keep you posted when that's coming out. Definitely let us know, and hopefully uh, as this insanity draws to an end, hopefully, life can returned back to some time of normalcy. You did Howl. From Howl to Samurai Grandpa, what was the progression to the next thing? Like I said, things kind of, the people were moving, you know, new jobs and things. So like, it was kind of hard to get everyone back on the same track to continue with the Howl book. I had a lot of other ideas that I wanted to keep going with. And I kind of do a little bit of drawing once in a while. I like to dabble with watercolor. I'm okay, I would say, but I'm very, very slow. And I had this idea for Samurai Grandpa, and I was going to do it myself. As I started writing the story, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be 120 pages. There's no <laughs> way I can handle this. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I had known Sean through Twitter. We've been friends on there probably since, like, I don't know, 2014, 2015, something like that. 
and I loved his artwork. He sent me original like zines of Terraquil, his graphic novel that he draws and writes like way back when he was just posting it online and he was just stapling zines together and sending them to people. So he sent them to me from Canada. And one day I saw that he was open for work and I had the first chapter written of Samurai Grandpa. And I said, I had just have to reach out to him. Like his art would be absolutely perfect and his storytelling sensibilities would be perfect for this book. And I pitched it to him and he wrote back to me like the same day and he was like, I'm in, I love it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we just were like, I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then uh, we finished the first chapter. We ran a, a successful Kickstarter, thankfully. Yeah, the rest is history. And now we're, we're getting ready to work on um, volume two, actually. Probably in a month or so, he'll, he'll get started on that. It was very fun talking to him because he was not an artist at all up until he's in his mid-20s. And that's a... That's a big undertaking, and for him yeah, to totally self-taught, yeah, self-taught, and and mm-hmm. to grow as rapidly, and and his style to be distinct, and him talking about sharing a comic book shop with Jeff Lemire, and once again, one another really awesome story. We had a lot in common as far as music goes. I, I, I did listen to you to that episode. Um, oh, yeah. awesome! Yeah, Thanks. No, yeah, yeah, really, really cool stuff. It's always really cool, and no matter how many people I talk to. The one thing that always stands out to me is when you have collaborators that you can tell in the work that there's you know this symbiosis between the two of you. Uh, sometimes in the independent world, uh, it, people don't get as lucky, and when when it works and when you know that people gel, it's obvious on the page. So I, I, it was clear to me reading the book. I really enjoyed that. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, and it really was such a an awesome experience making that book with him, his ideas and, you know, the way he envisioned the layouts or certain scenes were just even, you know, better than I had imagined. Um, and he would come back with, with certain ideas or ways that he would tweak things. And I was just like, absolutely, man, like, let's, let's totally hundred percent go for that. The last page of Samurai Grandpa actually, where the dragonfly is on the, the tree that you see where Harumi and Kimiko are playing in the yard. That was his idea to put the dragonfly on there and to bring that back. And I was like, ah, I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> I was like, absolutely, we're putting that in. That's awesome. But yeah, it's just so much fun. And uh, yeah, so like I, I'm, I'm very lucky um, to to work with him and have him as a creative partner. So we're doing um, Samurai Grandpa Volume Two, and um, we have another uh, top secret project that's in the works that is actually a blend of comics and prose so we're in the early stages of that we're getting close to having the first chapter done and we hope to be able to announce more on that soon i have a personal question just from one dad to the other yeah uh, you said your baby uh, is uh, almost a year or is a year old is that what you yeah, said she, she just turned uh, a year like a week ago yeah from one creative mind to another how has that influenced your writing has it had a dramatic change in the way that you interpret old things that you've done new things that you engage with yeah yeah i think it really has i'll share a little personal bit that i'm not afraid to talk about but uh, okay so my daughter is adopted my wife and i went through a couple of miscarriages after we decided you know what we're stopping we're going to stop trying this way and we felt called and we were blessed to be able to adopt that certainly has had a huge impact on me creatively 
going through that and then also leading up to the joy that we had from finally seeing our daughter and this amazing person that she is and she's she's only one and her personality is like shining through she's a little fireball <laughs> uh, she's amazing and like we have a good relationship with her birth mother it's an open adoption so like, that whole experience has been really really incredible just really having that appreciation i guess for being a parent because of the trials and tribulations that we went through leading up to where we are now and as far as creatively so the pain of the miscarriage certainly comes through in some of my works currently that i'm writing some that will be coming out but also the appreciation of having a daughter and caring about something more than you've ever cared about anything in your life really has kind of made me just think about things and, you know, from characters' perspectives in a new way. You know, I wrote Samurai Grandpa before we had a kid or before we had any any problems with that. It's a family story. It's about losing your child. And I never really thought about it or how much it would affect me, really, until after having our daughter. And just really the pain that like Oji Chan really would be going through for losing his son, potentially losing his granddaughter at the same time. So, yeah, I think it certainly has changed me a lot. I cry a lot more now in like movies <laughs> or, or really anything like some commercials just get me. But, yeah, it definitely has had an impact on me creatively. The reason that I asked is because your works that I've read, they do delve very deep into familial relationships as much as I was horrified by the uh, mother mute scene. Correct me if I'm saying it wrong, but is it, is it pronounced, do you pronounce it Saria? Uh, Saraya. Saraya. Yeah. Saraya and her father Francis at the tower and how her view of her father and the man she had remembered and now the shell of a man he'd become and the disappointment, it was just as potent for me as the mutie scene i wanted to wait until we talked on here to talk about that but i really uh there's a lot of toughness in her at the same time as a lot of vulnerability and seeing that transition on the page and watching that character go from just light years of maturity from point a to point b was was a very enjoyable for me and I was really interested because I know that I had seen pictures that, you know, your child was obviously small and here you have a daughter and you're writing about a daughter. So, uh, so I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, of course that scene or her, her whole relationship with her father, Francis, I kind of drew on that from my personal relationship with my own father. My dad was a great guy. He passed away maybe two years ago. Now he struggled with alcoholism and addiction he had so much potential, kind of like Francis did as well. But unfortunately, I think the world and addiction got the best of him. And so I kind of really drew from some personal experiences in writing that relationship of Soraya and her father, Francis. You did well to show just how wounded you can be when hope is gone. It was pretty incredible. I really enjoyed that. On the flip side of that, to see his daughter realize in that moment that the man she loved and the man she respected was gone and that the only way was forward. Uh, that strength, uh, it was, uh, it, like I said, it was just potent. And I, I, I hoped that that was where the story was going. After she had ran into the, the, the woman that was the lead of the drummers, to me mm -hmm. that seemed like uh, that was the oracle 
and for you to come around and pretty much, uh, you know, she turned, you know, the elders words and, and, and what she had been raised to believe on its head and, and made it work for her. I don't know, man, it was, it's real satisfying. You know, there's one thing about reading a story that you're getting invested in and that you're enjoying, uh, just hoping that, you know, the writer sticks the landing. So yeah, it was, uh, it was satisfying. That's awesome to hear. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> That act, that ending actually, uh, I, I needed to rework. I, I think you the finished one is probably the third draft of that, but I'm glad I'm glad to hear that that it stuck for sure. So you have this girl who has become kind of like the spokesperson for hope and has sold that hope to these people that are following her, and at the same time, it sets it's not that Hollywood happy ending because we as the reader know that it's a lie knowing that things probably are going to go awry very quickly. <laughs> I was yeah. like, man, I can't wait to see the next phase. So yeah, I'm glad there's more in store. I have ideas for um, two more books actually in this uh, pro series following Soraya's uh, journey. They'll take a little bit of a time jump, but uh, yeah, I think things certainly will go awry. I mean, the second she stepped out her door, she ran into the muse den. So <laughs> you can imagine that world is not going to be very forgiving. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. So as far as comics, from being a fan and growing up and going from fantasy and having that and coming back, how do you feel about comic books and how they've matured and how the independent scene uh, has opened up. Is uh, that something that you find encouraging, daunting, a little bit of both? Despite what some people may say, I think the current environment for comics is very strong. When I started getting back into them after my course in my MFA, I, I was reading a lot of um, superhero stuff, really a lot of the new 52 books. But then as I started, I think sometimes the issue is with the big two books is that, you know, you might be digging something and then it gets canceled after six issues or it gets rebooted right away. Right. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? You know, like I was really enjoying that. And then I started branching out. Well, I, like, I mean, two of the books that got me back into it were uh, creator own indie books. So American Vampire and Sweet Tooth by Jeff Lemire. And oh, yeah, those, both. those books that Scott taught in his class. I remember being like, holy cow, I've never read a comic book like this has always been superhero stuff. So comics can essentially do anything. Um, and then I just started branching out into everything. And I, I really think the future of comics is going to be these creator-owned indie books that people are doing, you know, at whatever level. You can be as indie as just just someone, you know, handing out scenes at a Comic-Con or doing a Kickstarter all the way up to some of these writers, you know, these established pros putting out books through Image or whatever other bigger publisher at that point. I think superhero books are always going to be there. For me personally, I really, I just look for unique, heartfelt stories um, where you can just tell the, the creators, like really put their all into it. And honestly, personally, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a comics fan because you can find anything, literally anything that you that someone might be interested in. There's probably a comic book out there. And if there's not, the, the person is going to make it themselves, which is just so awesome. I agree with you. I think that you hit a lot of nails on the head that I'm pretty excited. That's one of the main reasons that I got back into podcasting is because I saw so many things going on that I was like, I just got to talk to these folks because, you know, with Kickstarter and crowdfunding, 
people using social media and there's a lot of people that are really clever and you know really effective in the way mm-hmm. that they use it they're very reachable you know a lot of people are just excited to jaw about you know what it is that they love and what it is that they're doing so quite a few people you get to talk to on the entry level and you know who knows where they're going to go one day what's really cool is that talking with a couple people you start to get to bounce around in that their network and you're like, Hey, this person done this and this person done that. And you can just go follow. And it seems really tight knit and, you know, source point has, uh, has been a gold mine. I've made some friends with uh, some guys that are putting stuff over at scout. It's been been really fun. So, uh, just, man, keep up the good work. And I just want you to really know that I appreciate your time putting the old baby uh, to sleep there and, and hopping on and talking with me. I'm looking forward to what you have coming out, what you uh, and Sean are working up. So please stay in touch and I'll do my best to share whatever you got coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. The comics medium is pretty cool. It's a, uh... It's very unique in that it's, it is very um, accessible. I think you can talk to basically anyone. What other medium is like that, you know, where you can reach out to like a musician or uh, an actor or whatever on Twitter and get a response? That usually doesn't happen. But yeah, man, I'm so, so happy that uh, you reached out. I'm glad we got to connect here. I'll send you those PDFs of Hal and I'll put a little something secret in there as well Uh-oh. for you to check out that, uh, that you're probably going to be one of the first people to look at. So That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, people. Yeah, my, it's okay. It'll, lips, it'll, be coming, it'll be coming soon, I promise. My, my lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Thank you so much. I'll get this out soon, and hopefully we can spread some cheer to folks that are sitting at the house just uh, looking for something to listen to. Uh, I appreciate your story. I appreciate your time. And tell your wife and baby, I said, thanks for sharing you for a little bit. Absolutely. Will do. And uh, and thank you. Good luck with uh, with everything. Stay safe and healthy and uh, hope you and your little ones stay thank well. You. That's it for this episode of Somewhere the Vulture. 